What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Hannah Wiley on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. Hannah, I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you'd like with your story. Okay. First, kind of like everyone else, I just want to say thank you for this. Um, It's definitely been a big aspect of my healing. Um, So my story begins, um, I'll start out when we got married. I married my spouse in 2012. Um, a year later, we were pregnant with our first son and it took us, it took us about five to six months to get pregnant. Um, I had been on birth control since I was a teenager. And at that point I was 23 years old. So, um, it was, you know, they explained that it would take time to get pregnant, but my pregnancy was so normal. I was so ignorantly blissful. I, I didn't know anything other than uh, it was just supposed to go great and it went great. Every scan, every ultrasound was great. I was super, super, super sick. Um, I probably, you know, was throwing up up until like 22 weeks, but after that, everything was, you know, great. I ate what I wanted. Back then, I didn't exercise. I was thin. Um, my birth was fine. Um, my son is super healthy and normal. Um, so that's kind of why this kind of hit me like a brick in the face because my first pregnancy was so quote unquote normal. Um, after my son's birth, I was diagnosed with postpartum thyroiditis. So my doctor explained that as like because of the pregnancy, it was almost like an autoimmune response that my body was attacking my thyroid. So it started out as like a hyperthyroid and I had all the symptoms of hyperthyroidism, but I didn't really know that then. Um, When we caught it, it was like my thyroid was so overworked that now I was in hypothyroidism. And he said that that would be a lifelong thing. I was put on levothyroxine, but it's been uneventful. Like my levels leveled out and it's been totally fine. Um, I got the Mirena IUD uh, probably like a half a year after I gave birth. I was so, the newborn phase for me was so hard. <laughs> um, I had to go back to work when my son was only five weeks old um, because I just ran out of PTO. I'm a, I'm a nurse. At that time, I was working on the floor, on the med surge floor, and I had only been at that hospital for a short amount of time. So I didn't have short-term disability yet. I didn't have extra benefits. So all I had was my PTO that I had accumulated. So anyways, I went back to work really early. That was really hard on me. That was really hard, I think, on my husband and probably my baby. Um, So I got the marina because I was like, I don't want to do this again for several years. I need time to get my life back, to get my body back, to get my mind back. Um, So I got the marina out. 
probably right before the five-year mark. Like I knew it was about to be expired. So I was like, okay, I'm just, we're ready. I've been exercise. I had been exercising for like two plus years. I'd been eating healthy. I stopped all kind of anything like medicine wise that would have been detrimental to a pregnancy. I have chronic migraines. So I was on medication for that, that I stopped. Um, I stopped taking my Lexapro that I had been put on when I got diagnosed with the um, postpartum thyroiditis because I kind of had like depression, anxiety and all that. Um, so I felt very healthy and very ready to conceive again. Um, so I got that out in August of 2019 and I, months went by and I, we still weren't pregnant. I was pretty good at tracking my cycle on apps, but come October, I purchased the Ava bracelet. Um, my older sister had mentioned it and I was like, yeah, it's really expensive, but I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to do it. And I, I loved it. It was so accurate. It was so, I tell everyone how fascinating that bracelet is, like how much it knows. It's so smart. Um, so my last period before having a positive pregnancy test was in January of this year. And it was the day after Valentine's Day that I had my positive pregnancy test. I was super, super nauseous that day at work. And I just had my head down and my coworker was like, why don't you go over to pre-op? So currently right now I work in the operating room. So and then pre-op nurses, you know, they test everyone of childbearing age for pregnancy before surgery. So when I felt so sick, she was like, go over to pre-op and ask the nurses if they'll give you a pregnancy test. And of course they were so excited. They were like, yeah, but you have to do it right here. So I took the test and it was not like screaming positive, but the line was there. And I was so excited. Um, you know, we had been trying since August. I immediately went around with the stick in my hand to all my coworkers because they had known that we had been trying. And I showed them and I was like, look, look. And everyone was so happy. I immediately called my husband who was at work with our son. I called my mom, my dad, my sisters. And we were just so, so excited. I didn't have any like, um, reservations about sharing because all these people knew we had been trying for a while. So, and of course it seems like I almost had that positive pregnancy test like immediately as soon as my body knew I was pregnant because my period was on January 18th and then it was February 15th when I had a positive pregnancy test. Um, so they wouldn't get me into the office of course for several weeks. So that wait was kind of hard. I was super, super nauseous, but I wasn't throwing up yet. So they saw me on March 11th and I was supposed to be about seven and a half weeks by then, according to my last period. And this was right before all this COVID start, started. So my husband was allowed to go with me, thankfully. Um, and in the ultrasound, they said I was measuring behind. They said I was only measuring like six weeks and two days. And they were like, oh, well, maybe you just have your dates wrong. This is, this is totally fine. Like, we, they saw the baby. They, we could see the heartbeat. They didn't let me listen to the heartbeat, but we could see it. And I was like, in my head, I was like, um, I know my dates. Like, I've been wearing this Ava bracelet. It's been super accurate. Um, but whatever. Like, you guys are the professionals. I'll listen to you. Um, so they, they wanted me to come back in a couple weeks 
to where they would think I would then be like eight and a half weeks along. And so we scheduled that for March 25th. Um, prior to that, they had checked my thyroid and it was slightly elevated. It was like 2.52. So it was only 0.02 off of what they wanted, but they increased my dose a little bit. They said not to worry that it was so slightly elevated that that's not a problem. I started spotting a little bit after that first ultrasound and that was a I was so upset because my first pregnancy I never spotted I never bled and I was like what is this uh, this is not okay and I called the triage nurse and she was like oh you know it's this can happen after an ultrasound this can happen after intercourse it's it's not bright red you're not in pain just if it increases or you start to have pain then we want to see you and that lasted the spotting lasted probably like four to six days and then it went away. Um, I had my ultrasound then on the 25th and at this point COVID, you know, society was shut down. My husband wasn't allowed in and I was, I really was kind of unfazed by it all because I work in the hospital. So it wasn't any like, you know, it, it wasn't shocking. Like I just went through what I had to go through. I knew the protocols and knew the safety aspect of it. Um, and on the 25th, that ultrasound, I was like eight and a half weeks, measured eight and a half weeks. And um, the ultrasound tech said that my baby was healthy, which I now know she shouldn't have opened her mouth at all. But um, when I went and met with the midwife after, she, she told me that there was fluid around my baby's heart and lungs. But she kind of downplayed it. I mean, not that I... Half of me feels like she should have been like, this is a, this can be a big problem. This could lead to possibly a miscarriage. I don't know. But all she made me feel like, oh, this is nothing. It'll probably go away. Um, we're going to send you to maternal fetal just to make sure, you know, they have better ultrasounds. So I was like, I was kind of just in a daze. I got in my car, of course, called my husband, bawling my eyes out that there was, you know, fluid around the heart and lungs. And what did this mean? He was like, well, call my mom because my mother-in-law is a nurse as well. She works in the NICU. So not like she's an OB nurse, but, you know, I called her, bawling my eyes out, and she was just reassuring me and, um, of course, told my parents. I was just really upset. I was, you know, I just wanted a healthy baby. So at that point, I was just like, no, like, God, like, there can't be anything wrong with my baby. I watched the movie I Still Believe about Jeremy Camp's uh, life and first wife and that was very helpful. Um, his dad in the movie says this phenomenal little quote and talking about just his life and disappointments and he says um, that my life is not full in spite of my disappointments. It's full because of them and that was almost like an aha moment for me. I was just like, I'm going to love this baby even if they are sick, even if they're born and they need to be in the NICU. Um, the ironic thing about this is that I was not, miscarriage was not on my realm of thinking. I was just thinking this fluid's gonna go away and we're gonna have a healthy baby or my baby's gonna be born with something wrong and that's gonna be totally okay. And I was preaching this to my family that I am totally okay with a sick baby. I'm totally okay if something's wrong. Um, and it was the weekend after that, that 
I was now at work. I work weekends. I work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This was now a Saturday and I went to the bathroom around lunchtime and I wiped, it wasn't in the toilet, but when I wiped, there was bright red blood. It was almost like when, what looks like when you start your period, like it's not in your underwear, it's not in the toilet, but when you wipe, it's there. And I was like, holy crap. I was like, this is not good. This is not good at all. This is bright red. I immediately started crying. I tucked myself away in a, in a private room in the OR and I called the triage nurse and I was like, this is what's happening. And she was like, well, you're, you're not in pain. Of course they go through the million questions and then they're like, well, you're, you're not in pain. You're not hemorrhaging. Not that she said it that way, but this was the gist of it. So we just want to see you in three days. And I was like, okay, well, screw that. I'm in the hospital right now. I'm just going to walk down to the ER. And she was like, that you can totally do that, but you don't have to. <laughs> and I hung up and I got my coworkers and I was like, I'm going down to the ER. Y'all got to take over. Um, and they were so, so great. Oh gosh. I love my coworkers. You know, I, I'm a charge nurse. So one of them had to take over charge. And then the other one had to during this whole COVID thing, we have all of our PPE, you know, like kind of stockpiled and you have to have like a guard over it. Like you have to have someone sitting there the whole time. So someone had to do that while I was gone. Um, so I went down to the ER and at this point I'm like, <laughs> first I'm freaking out cause I'm bleeding. And then I'm freaking out cause I'm like, Oh my God, I'm in the ER during COVID. I'm like, <laughs> am I going to be around a bunch of COVID patients? Cause we hadn't yet gotten those in the, in the OR. So I put my N95 on under my regular mask and I'm like, it's already hard enough to breathe because I'm crying. Now I like really can't breathe because I have this N95 on and I go up to the desk and I'm bawling my eyes out. I'm like, at this point I was at that, on that day, I was supposed to be 10 weeks along and I was like, I'm 10 weeks pregnant. Um, I I'm bleeding. I think I'm losing my baby. And they were like, okay, hey, we'll go stand over there. Like half of the ER was like a sick side and half of the ER, I guess was like, if you don't have any of these symptoms, of COVID, you stand over here. So I stood there for like five minutes before someone came out and brought me to triage. Um, and then I'm bawling my eyes out in triage. And I mean, these people have the, out of the goodness of their heart, I'm, you know, are trying to say the right things, but it's not always the right thing. And the person on the computer taking my questions and answers and my vitals was like, oh, well, you know, plenty of people have periods while they're pregnant. This is probably just a period. And I'm just like, I'm not even listening to her halfway. I'm just bawling my eyes out. My blood pressure was like 200s over 100s. They're like, of course, like you need to try to calm down. I was like, I can't calm down. Um, so they got me back really quickly into a room, of course, because this was co during COVID. And um, the ER doctor comes in and the nurse comes in and they say, okay, well, what's the story? What's this backstory? And I told them about the fluid around the heart and lungs. I told them that I'm bleeding now. And the ER doctor was like, Hey, we need to get you to ultrasound. So I felt like I waited forever for ultrasound, but I finally got over to ultrasound, which was so awkward because it was almost like a double room in one. Like there was another guy, another patient there, basically in the same room as me getting his gallbladder checked out while I'm there, like bawling my eyes out because I think my baby's dead. And so that was totally awkward. But um, of course, the ultrasound tech wouldn't, you know, had the screen turned toward her and she wasn't saying anything. And in healthcare, I knew she wasn't supposed to say anything, but I, it, I was like, you know, I know you're not supposed to say anything, but can you just tell me if there's a heartbeat? 
And I knew she wouldn't. I just thought, let me just ask just in case. And um, she said, well, you know what, let's let the big guns downstairs that get paid to do that, do that. I, or, you know, read it. She didn't say like to tell me that, but I was like, okay, yeah, I knew you wouldn't tell me anything anyways. I thought I'd try. Um, so this whole time I've been texting my husband, of course he can't be there with me because it's during COVID, um, that I, this is what's happening. And he's just kind of like, keep me posted. And I guess I was telling him, I don't think this is good. I don't think this is good at all. I have a really bad feeling. I think the baby's dead. Um, and so I was brought back into the room and the ER doctor comes back, but he doesn't come all the way into the room. He just literally opens the door and pokes his head in and says, so you probably know, but the baby has no heartbeat and left it at that and shut the door. And I was like, at the time I was totally like, it didn't even phase me the way that he did it. But since I've had time to think back, I'm like, wow, that was totally inappropriate. So the, my OB, well, the partner of my OB came in and he was phenomenal. He was this sweet, sweet, sweet old man. He sat down and he was just like, you know, very compassionate, passionate, empathetic. He was, you know, almost the first thing he said was, I want you to know this is not your fault. There is nothing you could have done to have, to have caused this. Um, and then he was like, you know, stats say that one in four miscarry, but it's really more like half of pregnancies end in miscarriage. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. It doesn't make me feel any better, but that's very interesting. Um, and so this is the point of the story where most people say they're offered all of the options. I wasn't, I was only, there was never an option to do it all naturally, which I think is totally fine because I don't think I would have done it all naturally. But my OB was just like, so I can give you cytotech or we can do a DNC. And I was like, well, I work in the OR. I really don't want to have a DNC, A, because I don't want all my coworkers seeing all of me. And I, and I know the risk of anesthesia and blah, blah, blah. I work there. I didn't want to do it. So I was like, give me the medication. I can do this. I was, you know, I felt very, very, in a horrible moment, I felt very empowered to do this on my own. Um, so he said that since I had already started bleeding, that my body was like already in the process of um, trying to take care of it. So he only gave me a half a dose of Cytotec, which was 400. I took that in the ER. And I can't believe they let me drive home by myself, but I did. <laughs> I went um, back to the OR to tell them I had to go home, that I was miscarrying, and they were so sweet. My coworkers in the, in the recovery room gave me like a bunch of those blue chuck pads to line my bed. They gave me the mesh underwear, and they sent me home, you know, with lots of love. So I drove home, like bawling my eyes out. At this point, I had told my um, husband and my mom that we lost the baby and my husband was very didn't have much to say not in a bad way but that's just him he was very quiet he was just like okay um and he works till about 7 p.m at this point it was like 2 3 p.m so i went home by myself for several hours um just wailing bawling my eyes out again this is during covid so i my mom my mom's elderly I say that in a nice way though she's older so I didn't want her coming over I didn't want to expose her because I you know work in the hospital and she doesn't need to leave her house so I was home alone for several hours I basically just like sat on the toilet I started bleeding more 
and passing lots of clots. And I was just basically, I was, I literally was begging the baby to come out. I was like screaming, just come out, just come out because I just wanted this over with so quickly. Um, and nothing, I mean, it kind of tapered off. Um, my husband came home. I told him, okay, let's sit down and tell our son because he, our son was five years old, very smart. I know we all say that about our kids, but very smart. He already knew I was pregnant. He talked about the baby all the time. So I wanted to let him know what had happened. We sat my son down and I was just like, you know, I want you to know that the baby died, that the baby's with Jesus now. So that's okay because what, what better place is there to be than with Jesus? And my son is so empathetic <laughs> and loving. He got really teary eyed and um, just like nodded his head and gave me a big hug and then <laughs> went off on his own business. You know, like it was, it was over with, but that was very a sweet moment with him. Um, that evening, I, I lined my bed with all those chuck pads and I wore that massive pad in my the mesh underwear. I was so prepared to wake up in the middle of the night doing this thing. And I woke up, uh, woke up the next morning and nothing happened. Like I didn't even bleed at all overnight. Um, so luckily or thankfully my OB called me from his cell phone, which was so freaking sweet, um, just to check on me. Cause he hadn't heard from me, you know, with any questions or anything. And I said, nothing's happened overnight. Um, so he was like, okay, let's call you in some more medication. This time we'll do a full dose. And so he said, I want you to take it, um, tonight. And I was like, mm, screw that. I'm taking it now. So I picked it up from CVS and I took the 800 of Cytotec. They had also prescribed me ibuprofen and Zofran. And when I saw all that, I was like, hmm, is this gonna be, is this gonna be terrible and awful because they're giving me all this extra stuff too? And what's with the Zofran? But uh, a few hours later, so I took that at lunchtime. And a few hours later, I was nauseous and in a lot of pain. So I took the ibuprofen, I took the Zofran and I lied down, took a nap. And when I woke up, I was home alone and I was like, mm, where is my husband? And I called him and I was like, where are you? And he was like, oh, we went fishing. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I said, no, I cannot be alone. You have to come home right now. And he was like, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't know. And I was like, yes, like I cannot be, I cannot be home alone. This could go very bad very quickly. And he's like, okay. So bless his heart. He came home with my son and I was just like, I need, I need someone present. Um, so I, it was like probably like 8, 9 p.m. I had taken the Cytotec at around noon and I started cramping really, really, really bad, but not like people have described it like labor sometimes for them. And it was nowhere near labor pain, but it was just like really, really bad period cramps. So I got a heat pack. I sat in our playroom and I watched some Netflix. I don't even remember what I was watching. And I just sat there and all of a sudden I felt a really big gush. And I was like, oh man, oh man, oh man. And I just got up and I just ran to the closest bathroom, which was my son's bathroom in the hallway and sat on the toilet. And of course I had bled all through the underwear, through the pad, through my shorts. And I just threw them in the bathtub and I just screamed for my husband I didn't know like I was about to pass the baby. I just thought this was like bleeding that was happening beforehand. Um, and he came running upstairs and I was like, give me a new pad and underwear. Like I thought I would just put on another pad and underwear. 
and go back to the playroom and watch Netflix. Um, and he, he threw the patent underwear in the bathroom. He didn't want to see anything. And then I felt like a, a big plop almost the best way to describe it. And I looked down and it was like a softball size, but it looked like a clot to me. It didn't, I didn't see anything in it, but then in my head, it kind of dinged, you know, dawned on me. I need to be looking for the baby. I need to be looking to make sure this is where like nurse mode came in. I was like, I need to be making sure that I'm passing it. So I picked up this um, softball size sack and flipped it over and there was my baby. And I just wailed. I was just like, oh, my baby, my baby, there's my baby. And I could hear my husband right outside the bathroom, um, just trying to be quiet. It almost sounded like maybe he was sniffling. Um, and I just kept wailing like, oh, my baby, my baby, my baby. And I was just, it was in the sack and half of me was like, I kind of want to break the sack and I kind of want to hold the baby. Um, the baby was probably like two and a half inches long. I mean, it was a, a tiny baby, but a full formed, you know, little, little baby. It had its head and two eyes and nose and mouth and two arms and all 10 fingers. I could count all 10 fingers. I couldn't really distinguish the toes or the feet, but that's why I was just holding this sack and just telling this baby how much I loved him. Um, and I had asked, I said, Charlie, that's my husband's name. I said, do you want to do you want to see? And he was like, no. And I understood. I mean, he's not a, not a, a blood, you know, gush nastiness kind of person. So I was like, that's fine. I understand. Um, and he, to the goodness of his soul, I had actually made a really big bloody mess in the hallway running to the bathroom and he was out there on his hands and knees cleaning it up. So I, you know, he's wonderful for that. Um, so I sat there for a little while, just holding, holding my baby, holding the sack. And then you're kind of in the predicament, like, what do I do with this now? Because to put it, to put it in the toilet seems awful. To put it in the trash seems awful. But I just kind of let myself calm down and I put it in the toilet and I flushed it away. I, you know, I just kept, what made me feel okay about it was I was like, okay, my baby their soul is not in that physical body. So that's what made me feel okay with just doing that. Um, so I kind of let the bleeding uh, slow down a little bit. I wanted to get out of my son's bathroom. I felt so horrible having this bloody mess in my son's bathroom. So I kind of waited till I could physically get up and then transfer over to my bathroom. So then I, I did that. I sat on the toilet for a while um, in our bathroom and I texted my husband who was downstairs at the time with our son. And I said, you know, will you just come up here and talk with me? Um, it was almost like inside I wanted to comfort him. I wanted to make even everything that I was going through physically and emotionally, I wanted to make sure that he was okay. Um, so he came up and um, sat on the bathtub next to the toilet and just held my hand and we just kind of talked for a little bit. Um, and kind of, I mean, it sounds horrible to say rationalized everything, but just, you know, I think that helped him a little bit more is to say like, well, we didn't have a name for the baby. We never heard the heartbeat physically. Um, we knew there was something wrong with the fluid. Um, so I think that that really helped him and that's fine. That's totally fine. Um, 
So that first week post passing the baby, um, my husband had to go back to work. He's a small business owner. He owns and operates the store by himself. So he had to go back to work. Well, I guess what kind of helped me is that like I had to be present for our son. You know, I had to be a mom still. I had this living, breathing child that needed me. He even, he had strep that week too. So, I mean, I had to take care of him while trying to also, you know, just take care of myself. Um, that week I wrote a letter to my baby, which really helped. I was outside in the beautiful weather and just wrote a long letter um, to the baby. And my son was outside and asked me what I was doing. And so that was kind of sweet to share that with him too, that he knew like that I was communicating with the baby, that the baby was someone to talk to. Um, I had to go back to work that following weekend. Um, I mean, so I passed the baby on a Sunday and I had to be back at work on Friday. I had already used a lot of PTO just to have the baby, baby physically at home that Saturday and Sunday. So I planned on going back on Friday. Thursday night, I passed a, a lot of clots. So I was like, you know what, Hannah, you got to take care of yourself. So I called into work and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be there. Um, and of course they're concerned about COVID now when they, someone calls out at that point, they're like, they need to know if you're having any of the symptoms and that's why you're calling out. And I was like, no, I had a miscarriage. And they're like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, yeah. And hung up. Um, so I took Friday off and my bleeding was manageable. So I went back to work that Saturday. So one week from the ER visit, I was back at work. Um, my coworkers knew course everything that happened so that kind of helped um I had my one month follow-up um on May 6th and at that point I was I had I was spotting and then it got heavier so I thought I had a period and I was so happy I was like oh man I was like I'm so empowered my body passed this baby on its own at home and now I have a period my body knows what it's doing um, and I was very, so I was very optimistic and very positive. My OB was like, I just want to know how you're doing. They ask you all those depression questions and I was just doing great. Um, and she was like, well, I know that you say you're great, but I know that you may not be. So she gave me some forms for, uh, um, a company called Kindermorn, which is, um, based here in Charlotte. And it just is for people of child loss like families, teenagers, kids, anyone who has experienced a child loss in their life of any form. So I took that with a grain of salt and I was like, I'm fine. I got my HCG drawn that day and it was 82. So then I was kind of spiraled back into this sad state of mind because I was like, well, I guess that wasn't a period. My body has no idea what it's doing. This is a month past passing the baby and I still have HCG in my blood. My body's still bleeding. What, what the hell? Um, that week, probably because of my, you know, emotions were all over the place. I got in a really bad argument with my mom. Um, it probably was a little bit of a trigger point. Like we were talking about, at this point, I was very open about talking about the miscarriage, talking about the baby, talking about the fluid around the heart and lungs. And um, my mom had brought up, this was during face, FaceTime, of course, or on Zoom. Um, what what is Charlie's opinion? Um, if you were to have a baby again, 
was something wrong? Like, what would you do? And she was kind of insinuating abortion. She was like, you know, me and your father, we had long talks, you know, in our marriage. And if, if a baby was ever going to be financially um, a burden, we would just abort. And I, I was so numb during the conversation that it didn't hit me. But later that night, it hit me. And I was so pissed off. I was so upset. I was like, how dare she? I mean, this is just, I just lost my baby a month ago. She's, and I'm totally, my parent, I'm very, um, I'm a believer. I'm a strong Christian. I'm not for abortion. Of course, I just lost my baby. So abortion is going to hurt me. Um, and I just, I called my twin sister and I was like, this is what mom said. I'm freaking losing it. And she kind of, you know, helped me calm down or, you know, tried to soothe me. Then I called my older sister. She's up in Massachusetts and she has very different, differing views in life. Um, so I knew, I was like, I knew that she's totally like pro-choice and all that. So this wasn't really an abortion issue, but it was in the conversation. So I was like, Hillary, I know that we don't agree on some things, but this is just what mom said. And I'm so hurt. And my older sister was so compassionate. And so it's like, we put aside our differing views and she was just like, yeah, you know, like mom says some things sometimes and I don't think she's thinking, or I don't think she's thinking of what it's going to make that person feel like she's just thinking concretely in her own head. And so that was a really good conversation with my older sister. I think this whole um, journey has brought us a lot, a lot closer. Um, so that. I kind of realized I was very, very triggered and very, very not over this. So I emailed Kinder Morn and I was like, look, um, you know, no one wants to admit they're having issues, but I was like, this is, I miscarried on this date. Um, I just, I think I need some help, but they were only doing Zoom therapy sessions. Um, and I was like, mm, no, no, thank you. If I have to talk to another person on a video screen, I'm going to scream. So I just was like, I'm fine. I can do this. I don't need this. Um, so I ex-nayed the whole therapy thing for right then. I went back about a week later to the OB for another HCG draw. At this point, I was still bleeding. Um, and my HCG was 47. So this is now like five weeks post passing the baby. And I still have HCG in my system. So that was very, they, and they, the doctors weren't concerned. They're like, okay come back next week we'll check it again um that next week was so I was going on being seven weeks post passing the baby and my belly started to feel full again like bloated again and it was a very dull ache and this and I was still spotting so I was just like I don't know you think, I, I hear a lot of nurses be like, I'd have to be on death's door before I seek care. And I'm the total opposite. Like when something's wrong, I know something's wrong and I seek care. So I call them at the OB office again and I say, I'm almost seven weeks post-passing my baby. I'm still bleeding and now I'm in pain. Um, so they're like, let's get you in for an ultrasound. I met with a different midwife this time. She was like eight to nine months pregnant. And I was like, holy crap, why would they schedule me? I know that she's doing her job, but I was like, this was, I was so pissed. But then when we, I sit down with her, she was like, I just want you to know that I lost a baby last year. 
I thought I passed everything at home on my own. And then it turns out that I didn't. So basically she was just letting me know I've been in your shoes. I've, I've been that on that exact journey. And there was also kind of a glimmer of hope that now she's like full blown pregnant. And I was like, so what turned out seemed to be negative turned out to be so positive and she didn't have to start share her story with me. And she did. And I just love her for that. Um, but so I had the ultrasound and it lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, Oh man, this is bad. And they were like, yeah, you need a DNE with ultrasound guidance <clears throat> and having work being working in the OR. I see a trend of sometimes people use DNC and DNE interchangeably, but what I see doctors posting those procedures as is a DNC is kind of less severe and less, I don't know, they don't use the suction machine. You know, they just scrape, 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 and they're done in five minutes. When they post it as a DNE, it means there's a lot of tissue in there. So I knew, I was like, oh, oh gosh. I was like, this is not good. Um, and of course, the ultrasound reading just said, you know, like retained products. They were like, we need to get you in for a DNE. That was on a Thursday. And I was like, okay, can we please do this sooner than later? Um, and I was being picky because I work with these doctors in the OR. I was like, well, you know, who's on? Who, who's, who's available for this? So I was being really picky and I wanted a certain doctor and they're like, well, she's, she's on call on Wednesday. So let's shoot for Wednesday. And I was like, okay. At first I was fine with that. Then come the next day at Friday at work, I'm like really thinking this over. And I was like, you know what? I'm so, I want this out. Some, I want this out of my body now. So I was messaging the midwife back and forth like can we just do this sooner than later I'll do it this weekend I'll do it Monday on the holiday I'll, I don't care and she was like and she was so for it she was like yes I'm talking to people now we're gonna we could even get you in this weekend um I got a call actually before I got a call one of my coordinators in the OR who's like over OB and GYN came out with the pieces of paper the case posting with my name on it and she came up and she was like did you have another one? Because they posted it six weeks. It said DNE ultrasound six weeks. And I was like, no, that, and I started, I immediately started crying. And I was like, no, that's, it's because there's still stuff up in there. And she just, you know, was kind of rubbed my back and was like, oh, I'm so sorry. So that's how I knew they had got it scheduled. <laughs> they didn't even call me. First, I heard from my own OR staff. Um, so then they called me and they're like, okay, we've got you in for Monday on Memorial Day. Um, you need to go get COVID tested and then quarantine yourself. And I was sitting at work at this time. <laughs> I was like, okay. And my managers knew um, that I had miscarried. So one of them was beside me at that time. And I was just like, um, by the way, I um, am having a DE on Monday and I need to leave work this afternoon and go get COVID tested. And they were like, oh, okay, can you like come back afterwards? And I was like, um, no, like I'm supposed to go home in quarantine. And they're like, uh, you know, they couldn't like, they can't say no, but you could tell they weren't happy. Um, so I left work that afternoon when I was relieved at the desk at 3 PM and I went across the street and got tested and then went home and quarantined all weekend. So then again, I was out of work, um, which was kind of nice to be out of work in the same sense. I was like, I'm so tired of having to use my use my PTO up over such a horrible thing. You know, I was saving all that PTO for my live birth. Um, so I went home, quarantined. I, at this point, the hospital had kind of lifted 
the visiting restrictions and not like hospital wide, but they realized that surgery patients need a, need a care person, need someone at their bedside. So my husband was allowed to go with me on Monday and it worked out since it was a holiday, his store wasn't open. So that was great. My mom came over and watched our son and we went to the hospital and I'd have to say out of the whole experience, that DNE was the, the easiest, most beautifulest um, aspect of it. I mean, I got to choose because I work in the OR. I was like, well, I'm going to choose who's my nurse and who's my scrub tech. Um, so I had texted them on Friday and I was like, Hey, this is the situation. I'd like to know if you'll be my, if you'll take care of me, you know, if you'll be my nurse, if you'll be my scrub tech. And of course they're like, yes, of course. And I'm so sorry. And, um, I love them for that. They are such wonderful human beings. Um, and of course I knew the CRNA, so she was, and I knew the girls in pre-op. So it was very nice knowing them and being their coworker and just being extra loved on. Um, the whole aspect of them seeing all of me kind of like, you know, just like when you give birth, your dignity goes out the window. You just don't even care. I didn't even care that they're going to see all of me. I was just, I felt very good and at peace. Um, there. They felt, made me feel so good. The anesthesiologist came in to the pre-op room and was asking me all his questions. And he said, um, yeah, you know, my, my wife and I lost two babies in between our first and last. And I just thought that I don't see that side of anesthesiologists very often. You know, 95% of them are very stoic and in charge um and some you know very few of them are so amicable and nice and kind and not that the stoic ones aren't kind but you know i just don't see that that compassionate side of them while at work and for him to share that story again i was like gosh that was just beautiful like that made me feel so good and on top of that he was like and you know next time i'll be putting in your epidural <laughs> and that made me smile because i had listened to one girl say that on your podcast that the anesthesiologist was like, the next time I see you, I'll be putting in your epidural. And down the road, he was the actual one to walk in and be the person to put in our epidural. And I was like, so I told this anesthesiologist that. I was like, you know what? That is so great that you just said that because I listened to this podcast and this woman said this and it, that just, thank you for making me laugh. Um, so that was really great. Um, so I had the procedure and I went home that day. Um, and I probably bled heavy for like a week. Um, my, the results came back from the pathology that they sent off and it said that it was an exaggerated placental site. But the note, you know, when you get like results back in your online chart, the doctor always leaves a note and she was like, everything looks great. Nothing's unexpected. We'll see you at your follow-up. And I was like, Okay, but I know that sounds funky to me. So of course I go to Dr. Google and I'm like, what the hell is an exaggerated placental site? And it sounds horrible. It sounds, you know, almost like in a accreta where the placenta grows too far into the uterine lining. So that would also explain why I couldn't, you know, dispel everything on my own because it was like my body was hanging onto it. But then I also was like coming across articles where talks about molar pregnancies and where some of these situations can grow into cancer. And I was like, Oh, okay. So at my follow-up, I made sure to bring that up because the doctors this whole time were acting like everything is great. Everything is normal. 
And I was like, I want you to explain to me in detail what an exaggerated placental site means. And they were like, I think they forget they're talking to someone that they work alongside and someone that's in the healthcare. And she's like, oh, it just means that the, um, the placenta was a little sticky. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, no, I need like exact detail. Like I want you to go into detail. And she was like, it's just, it just means that it just stuck really, really good. She's like, I talked to the oncologist and she says everything was fine. And I, in my head, I'm like, holy cow, you had to talk to an oncologist. So that was like, but then she said everything was fine. So, oh, I don't even know. I still didn't even know how to feel about that. I had asked if this was, if this would affect future pregnancies, future trying to conceive. Would this mean that my uterus needs longer time healing before I try to conceive again? And she was like, nope, nope, everything's fine. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I left, that was on, got June 9th. And um, so they were supposed to take my HCG that day. Because, well, she was like, you can go home and pee on a stick if you want, or you know, that's a cheap way to do it, or we can draw your labs. And I was like, no, the last thing I want to do is take a pregnancy test right now. So I sat in the lab seat, and the lab personnel said congratulations to me. And I was, I kind of blew it off. I was like, oh, maybe because I'm getting my HCG drawn, she thinks that I'm, I'm trending it, like to see if it gets higher. I don't even know. I just blew it off let her take my labs. And usually my HCG would come back within like three days or so. And a week had gone by and I still hadn't seen it come back. So I messaged them again. And I'm sure I was like, y'all, I know I annoy the crap out of you. I'm talking to you like every week on this, my chart. But, um, and they were like, oh, let me check it out. And probably the next day I got a, an email saying, you've got test results. And I was like, oh, finally, I get to see where my HCG is to see if this is all over. And um, it was all my pregnancy labs, like my A1C, my CBC, my blood type, STD testing. And at the very top from the midwife, the first midwife I ever saw there was congratulations again. And I... I don't even know how, what I thought in that first moment, but I was like, is this my life? Is this real? First off, I, I messaged right back and I was like, I'm not freaking pregnant. My baby is dead. And I am trying to find out what my HCG level is. And I think you confused me with another patient. I think you drew someone else's laps on me. Um, and then I couldn't wait for them to message me back. So I called the office and I complained. And I was like, I think you confused me. I'm supposed to be having this lab done. And I got all these other labs done. And so-and-so just told me congratulations on my pregnancy and I'm pissed off. And they were just kind of like, uh, 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 you know, it was almost like they didn't know how to take it. Um, and they were like, oh, okay, let me, let me, let me tell my supervisor because I don't, I don't know who else to go about this. And I was like, yeah, you do that. Um, so almost like, I don't know, later that day, the midwife calls me and apologizes. And I'm just like, yeah, I appreciate it. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. I was so over it and pissed off. I'm like, yeah, thanks for your sorry. Um, but this is so wrong. Like, and I said, I don't want to be charged for all that crap. Um, I don't want to run through my insurance. Y'all weren't supposed to do that. And all along, like I still didn't have my HCG level. So then my actual OB messaged me and was like, I see what they done. They drew the labs on you that we ordered when they first found out I was pregnant, but they never, and then I miscarried. So I never had those labs drawn and no one in these almost 
in two and a half, three months has ca canceled those labs. Like, I don't know how many providers I saw and no one saw to cancel those labs. And not only that, but that lab personnel on June 9th was drawing labs that were ordered in March. And so that's what that, that, that really pissed me off. I was like, um, why didn't they question this? I'm a nurse. If I saw, if I saw orders that were placed several months ago that I think I'm supposed to be drawing right now, I'd be like, I'd be like, what is this? Um, and question it. That didn't happen. Um, so the office of course apologized to me, blah, 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 blah. My OB um, had my HCG drawn stat. And I'm guessing from that, my blood on the ninth, because I didn't go back in to have it drawn. And she said that it was three and um, considered negative now. So that was the kind of silver lining in that horrible situation. And I was like, okay, great. Um, but I still couldn't, I wanted to physically see it. She told me it was three, but I didn't see that result. And not that I didn't want to believe her, but I was like, I'm so, I'm so tired. I just want to see it with my own eyes. Um, so please release that to me. And she did. And it was three and I was like, okay, I believe her now. Um, but so since then, you know, that was a couple weeks ago now. Um, I didn't even stop bleeding from my DNA until exactly four weeks post procedure. And of course, every week I was a Googling to try to see other people's stories of how long they bled for. And none of them ever said that they bled for that long. So I, that's why I was so obsessive too over HCG because I was still freaking bleeding. And way back when there, there was still tissue up there. So how do they know there wasn't still tissue up there? I was like, even though I know you guys did this under ultrasound guidance, um, I just, I just, I'm still bleeding. Um, and they were every week, they were like, give it one more week, give it one more week. Um, you shouldn't bleed one month post procedure, but normally it doesn't take that long. And exactly one month or four weeks to the date of my procedure, I finally stopped bleeding. So that was a hallelujah because I feel like I've been bleeding for months now. Um, I also kind of, um, I looked up who to complain to, like, yes, I had talked to the office, but I was very, um, unhappy with several circumstances in this post miscarriage story. So I find I was sitting at work one day and I was just researching away on who is the complaint department? Who do we talk to about grievances? And I wrote a long letter and I called out. I looked back in my chart, so I got people's names. The ultrasound tech that called my baby healthy, even though five minutes later I found out there was fluid around the heart and lungs. Um, the ER doctor who poked his head in to tell me my baby had no heartbeat, I got his name. The midwife who, A, told me congratulations um, after my um, pregnancy labs came back, but I was not pregnant, got her name. Um, the only person I didn't get the physical name was, was the lab personnel, but I made sure to complain about them too and how horrible of a mistake they made. Um, so the sunshine and all of that is that I'm so proud of the organization that I work with that they took these complaints so seriously and so quickly. So I filed that letter on a Sunday and on Monday, someone was calling me saying, I'd like to address this with you. Can you go into detail, blah, blah, blah. I talked to them um, a couple weeks, a couple days later, I got another phone call from the actual OB's office, I guess, whoever handles their stuff there. Um, and she said, you know, we have addressed everyone 
um, except the ultrasound tech so far. And I just want you to know we are all oh so sorry. She's like, from the bottom of our heart, we are so remorseful. And more than anything, we're all just kind of looking at each other and saying, how did we let this happen? And I was like, well, good. I was like, because, you know, I'm not saying I don't, I'm not unforgiving, you know, like I'm, I, I'm extending you guys grace and I, I forgive you. I just, I want you to learn from your mistakes so that this doesn't happen to me again and doesn't happen to someone else again. And they are, we're understanding of that. And crazy and funny enough, yesterday I was at work and I got a text message from the ER doctor. He was like, hey, this is Dr. So-and-so. Um, do you have a moment to talk? And I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I can't believe he's texting me. And second off, I was like, mm, I was kind of was like, no, I'm at work. I don't want to talk. And he was like, okay, I just wanted to talk in person or on the phone and apologize. And I was like, I really appreciate it. Um, this is my work schedule. These are the days and times that I'm off. You can call me then. And then he was like, you know, I will, you know, will do. Thank you. So I just thought that was crazy that he texted me and very unlike, I mean, yes, I heard from the OB's office, like whoever's over everyone, but I haven't heard like my OB hasn't called me and apologized or anything. But so I thought that was really wonderful for this man to want to speak to me personally and apologize. That was great. Um, I say also like since then I realized that I do need help. Um, mentally, emotionally. I reached back out to Kinder Morn and I scheduled my first therapy session with them because they're now meeting in person. So I was like, yes, yeah, sign me up. I don't want a Zoom meeting. I want to, I want to see you in person. So I had my first therapy session with them and it was great. It was so great to just sit in a room with someone else that they just specialize in child loss. Um, and she too, I had mentioned listening to podcasts and she wanted to know every single one that I was listening to. And she said that the life after miscarriage was the number one podcast that people talk about in her office. And I was what? like, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Yes. Um, so, and I told her I was recording an episode and she was like, no way. And I was like, yes. She's like, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Um, oh, that's cool. She was great. Um, they are opening, what I'm really looking forward to is like group therapy. Like I want to sit in a room in a physical room with physical human bodies and hear with other people that have, are feeling the emotions that I'm feeling that have gone through the experiences that I'm going through. Um, even if, you know, they're all so different, but they're so alike. And my biggest healing, um, has been listening to these stories. So I was like, that's, that's, that's where I'm going to focus on for my healing is, you know, connecting with others that have gone through this or even in any shape, way or form. So they start a group therapy session in August. So I got on the list for that and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I also started doing yoga like every day that I'm off of work. I used to be so against yoga, so against it because I was lifting heavy weights, doing lots of cardio and I was like, yoga? Uh, I don't even feel like I'm moving my body. So ironically, now I've found that yoga is not only can be very strenuous and make you sore, but it's helped me, my mental health so much. So I told my husband the other day, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm going to commit to doing nothing but yoga. 
I sold my heavy weights. I sold my um, bench press. I, I sold out because I was like, if it's sitting there, I'm going to pick it up one day. And I want to commit to just doing yoga. So, and I do, of course, you know, I don't go to the gym or anything, but I just have a beach body membership and do it at home. And it has been so healing. Um, I also purchased kind of in like a, I wanted it to memorialize our baby somehow. And I didn't really know how, especially during COVID, you can't really gather. Um, so I bought one of those caterpillar to butterfly kits. And I thought that would be cool for my son too. I was like, let's get these caterpillars and watch them grow into butterflies. And that was, was nerve wracking in itself because I was concerned that they were doing what they needed to do when they needed to do it. It was almost like PTSD. But seeing them come out of their cocoon was, I, even my husband were like, oh my God, it's happening, it's happening. And I was like, I didn't kill them, I didn't kill them. Oh my gosh, it was just, it was so beautiful to see them come out of the cocoon. And even a more beautiful thing about it is that not all of them came out perfect. Some of them had deformed wings and couldn't fly. And that even my husband made some sort of comment, like, see this, I mean, this just kind of goes to show you nature. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, it was almost a very healing aspect too, to be like, see, like even sometimes these butterflies have something wrong. And I learned through the internet that we shouldn't release the ones that don't, that have broken wings out in the out in the wild or whatever because they won't survive so we've actually kept I released two not knowing that they shouldn't have been released so I feel bad about that but um we still have one in the little butterfly net that has um, a little deformed wing he can't fly but we feed him how it says to feed him and we put a you know flowers and bark and sticks in there and that's been very <laughs> it sounds funny but so so healing for me um and we also, I painted pottery with my son um, and I wanted to memorialize baby somehow like through that piece of pottery. So I chose a wine glass, <laughs> but um, I painted a rainbow on the outside in hopes of our rainbow. And then on the inside, I painted it all bright, bright yellow because I've always thought of this baby as sunshine. Like I kind of nicknamed this baby sunshine. I told my husband, I didn't want to keep referring to it as the baby. So I refer to it as sunshine. So now any, anything yellow makes me think of our baby. So I painted that inside of the cup, bright, bright yellow. And that's been really great too. Um, and I think that's it. It's been, it's been a long journey. The funny thing is, is I scheduled to record an episode like a month or so ago but it was before my DNE and I realized, cause I thought I was over everything. And then I learned I needed to have a DNE and I was like, okay, let me cancel this episode because my journey's not over yet. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to wait till it was actually over. Well, I'm you know, so happy that yeah. you did. Like, I'm so happy that you decided to do this. Your story has been incredible. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I know. it's so crazy. <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it was so horrible it still is mm -hmm. and I miss my baby so much but I have I would have never there's a song um it was actually from a girl on Britain's Got Talent her name was Beth Porch and she sang a song called I didn't uh uh you taught me what love is and it says like the lyrics are like you know although it wasn't for long you taught me what love is you taught me how to be brave and I feel like, of course, you know, we're, 
we're brave in these situations because we have no other choice. But really, like that baby taught me not only to be okay with a baby that would be sick. I mean, it it taught me taught me so much bravery. Passing the baby at home, um, you know, if not, if I if I didn't lose the baby, I wouldn't have gained all that strength. Um, and it brought my husband and I so much closer. I mean, we already had a good relationship. Um, of course, you know, I've heard the statistics of marriages that fail after the loss of a child. And, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm not gonna let that happen. I see where it's totally possible, because there have been times where I have flipped my lid on him over nothing. Um, and of course, you know, the whole grieving aspect, how we grieve so differently. But he has been such a wonderful human being, um, very supportive, very understanding. And it's really brought us so much closer and just in a different way, you know, um, that we wouldn't have been if we hadn't gone through this. Um, so I guess where I am physically right now is waiting on that period. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I was so, I was bleeding for so long. I was so great, you know, grateful not to be bleeding. And now I'm like, okay, now I just, like, where is this, it? Yeah. <laughs> right. I want to start this first period and then, um, then I'm going to be ready. I'm ready to start trying again. So you're not the way the way you've shared is like so inspirational yeah I just really appreciate everything that you've shared with us I have so many notes on your episode (laughs) yeah I mean everyone's stories on here were so helpful that that's what I was like I have they helped me I have to help other people Mm -hmm. um and I'd say like the number one thing I want to like teach people is um, to speak up, of course, talk about it, a talk about it, because that, I mean, there is no shame in the sharing game. I mean, you just, you talk about it. It doesn't matter how it makes the other person's feel like you just need to talk about it, but also to advocate for yourself because no one is going to be a better advocate than yourself. So like where I was not happy with certain things that have happened in my post miscarriage care, like, um, complaining like I I don't want to be a complainer especially because I work there but it's good has come from it like these these Mm -hmm. physicians are learning their lessons really it's sad to say but your most lessons are learned through mistakes um and they don't necessarily know that you've made a mistake unless you point it out so I'd say people shouldn't be scared if they're not happy um with something that has happened to speak up to the organization and and say this is what's happened and it's not okay yeah, absolutely. There's no shame in the sharing game. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I'm such an open book, so. That's... Yeah, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Uh, well, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? So since I actually have, I don't have a Facebook. Um, okay. I deleted that a long time ago, but I have Instagram. It's HS underscore Wiley. I haven't like posted anything since mm-hmm. my DNE because I just found that being on there, I was, I didn't want to be, cons- I wanted to take care of myself and to take care of myself mm-hmm. mentally. I didn't want to look at everyone else's lives, yeah. but I still have an Instagram. I get on there from time to time, just not as focused on it as I was. And I shared my miscarriage story like one week after my miscarriage, I posted on there to be like, I was like, I just feel like people need to know. I think they need yeah. to know why I'm acting the way that I am, why I'm not posting the way that I am, why I'm not liking their stuff, you know, like 
they need to know. So, and that came, there were so many responses. It was wonderful. Um, so yeah. Good. Um, well, I'll go ahead and I'll link your Instagram and if somebody wants to reach out, they can just shoot you a DM and yeah, absolutely. Um, you can respond if you want to, but that's kind of what this is all about is just building a community. So I just so yeah. appreciate you feeling the pull to jump on and share your story with everybody else, considering it was helpful for you. It's definitely going to be helpful for other people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Best of luck. Hopefully thank you. your period comes like tomorrow or maybe <laughs> yeah. today. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking and forward to it. Yes. You'll have to keep us posted. I will. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. Thank you.